Hey folks, this is episode 166 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features a returning guest, my friend Ian Ramsey. He is an educator, musician, and adventurer who has been deeply inspired by outdoor writers and students of spirituality. His largest inspiration is Gary Snyder. He was introduced to Gary Snyder through reading about his related character in Jack Kerouac's book, The Dharma Bums. I deeply connect with Ian because I fell in love with a particular lifestyle, um, a, a way of writing poetry and adventuring in the world through Jack Kerouac's books. And I was really interested not in the fiction of his books, but how they pertain to what was really going on at the time, because... For me, I, I felt like I was grown into a culture um, or even a family in some ways that it just didn't fit quite right. I've been often very adventurous and I just I didn't fit the conventional molds. I really love poetry and exploring the world and getting to know nature and how it relates to people in our communities. Ian has studied this stuff way more than I have. And it is beautiful to hear about his stories and the lessons that he's learned. He um, leads student adventures, teaches children about environmental writing, physiology, music, brain science, and mindfulness at North Yarmouth Academy in Maine. He loves to see kayak, ultra run, and go on expeditions. His adventures have taken him to places like the Brooks Range in Alaska, Vietnam, the Peruvian Amazon, to name a few. His poetry and writing has been published in some um, notable, notable publications. But beyond that, he just loves to write and be in wild places. I'm going to play you in with one of his poems called A Letter to America. You can read it on terrain.org, and I'll leave the link to that in the show notes. And also check out more on terrain.org. I've also left some links to <clears throat> the writers that had really inspired Ian in the show notes. Without any further ado... Here's Ian's poem, and then we'll get to the interview. Enjoy. Dear America, up here in the quiet northeastern corner of the country, as twilight's red seeps across low-tide mudflats, I'm shivering on shore, stamping cold feet, but my sorrow-hollowed legs wobble, seeming to float above the snow, and I wonder... Have I mistaken the sky for ground? A loony question, I know, but hell, these days are topsy-turvy. I'm wondering if the guys clamming a hundred yards out give a damn about shammed-up politics as they yell and laugh, mutter and spit, dig clams, bloodworms. And their cigarettes. The votive glow makes me think of other men I've known in towns like Rock Springs, Minot and Lindytown, men who sputter and slug old engines to life, fountain sparks, lay pipe of heroic dimensions, men scurfed with age, with barcode mustaches, who skid trees and muster board rills, far from the coastal bicycle coffee utopia hipstervilles, far from the bricked out country club campuses where my students study genomic splicing and Uruguayan literature, far from Stockton's Little Manila and Miami's neighborhoods, I'm thinking of the thousand-year-old pueblos, of small towns along the Chattahoochee, the Wabash. And America, you're all of that, a wild-ass manifesto of hope, even as you're thumping with contempt, frivoled to bits. I'm thinking of two weeks ago, America, when I flew to your other bright sea, 
to the Bay Area's techno-globaltopian Ubering hubbub to gather with 25,000 of your greatest Earth scientists. The conference rooms dense with footnoted predictions about Jupiter's magnosphere, with oh-so-serious postdocs and their poster tubes, and a hundred huddles of introverts conversating about nutrient cycling in the Pacific, aeronomy, the hydrogeology of Pleistocene megafloods. But electrifying that small, sprung-up city of science, a sense of portent, an immense, unbound urgency. A now is the time, unwhispered ethos of stand up and fight. For Borneo forests, for clean energy grants, for climate studies. Like a throne, dead bolt had thrown open a door. These thousands of quiet, diligent academics, their decades spent fumbling to map eternity's architecture, were suddenly talking revolution were pouring aquifers of intelligence into calamity's cracked sink, harnessing choreographers to express melting chukchi ice, filmmakers to animate the shifting gulf stream, leveraging the private despair of lab work into a chorused cause. These true children of Galileo and Hutton and Pinchot, strong as rocks, powerful as weather, unwavering as mountains. And as I stand here, now, sunsets red sinking to stars, the tide galloping back in, a dark gravity helps me find footing, uneven. On the bristling common ground I share with the clamors, the eco-hydrologists, Alabama soccer moms, roughnecks, and cosplayers. The thousand synagogues, PTAs, labor unions, immigrant families, garden clubs, woodworker guilds, who are digging in, taking a stand, together. The age and the moment call. got back from a three-day epic adventure circumnavigating Mount Tahoma and Rainier. Oh, That's the one. Yeah. yeah. So excited. It was amazing. It was, it was actually, I did uh, two weeks in a row, I did two different trips. So Whoa. Um, so I worked for this company called Aspire Adventure Running, mm-hmm. um, and we lead sort of trail running, long trail running trips up and down the West Coast. So everything from the North Cascades down to Yosemite. Wow. Um, and so we kind of our signature trip is the Wonderland where it's a 93 mile uh, tra- trail, a loop trail that goes around Tahoma. And we do it in three days. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. What's the experience like for people who, who are on this trip? Is it like a, a race setting or something else? Right. So our, our culture is really all around uh, community and personal growth. Mm-hmm. So we really try to stress that it's not competitive. I mean, everybody comes from a different place. So if they want to compete with themselves or with others, that's okay. But our goal is to give people the opportunity to traverse this landscape in community with other people um, in whatever way is authentic to them. So there's sometimes there are people who crush the speed and go super fast. Sometimes there's people who go slow. Sometimes there's people who take a day off or do, you know, and that's, and that's all great. I think that we, but what we provide is we cook food for people. We set up tents for people. Oftentimes, um, we provide all the support. Um, we have people on the trail with them, um, to make it like a safe, um, opportunity for them to try it Mm -hmm. and maybe push themselves harder than they would if they were on their own. Oh, that's awesome. Um, But it's amazing. It's inspiring. You know, like a couple weeks ago I had a woman who had a completely torn meniscus Uh Uh and she took one day off, but she still did two (laughs) of the days. Wow. And in fact, on the third day, she not only had a torn meniscus, but like two miles in, she sprained her ankle and she put on an ankle brace. Um, and it didn't seem like an issue. And then she got off the trail and her ankle was like the size of a, of a grapefruit, um, but she did it and she was still squealing with delight. Exactly. Exactly. It it was amazing. So, um, it's so cool to see human beings doing hard things and just like pushing themselves through these kind of challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really amazing. And then to say nothing of being in this, you know, that park, Mount Rainier National Park is 98% designated wilderness mm-hmm. and wow. you're going around this really 
powerful mountain, you know, this like guy in energy field, mm. you're crossing rivers, mm-hmm. um, you're going, I mean, the, one of the days is like 35 miles and like 10,000 feet of elevation gain. Whoa, so it's, it's, that's a big, big miles, yeah. you know, and, and it's hard, you know, it's really hard, but uh, that's what's cool about it. <laughs> and that challenge is, uh, is something that everybody gets to experience relatively, right? Like, cause going uphill is, is difficult. I mean, right. no matter which way you look at it. Right. Yeah. Every, I mean, people can kind of pick their own challenge, right? For some mm-hmm. people, just getting it done is hard. For some people, doing it in a certain time is hard. For some people, being kind with themselves is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one woman on this last trip who um, had vestibular migraines. And uh, for mile, she only ended up doing one day, but it was the hardest day. And it was also like in the 90s. It was really hot. Mm-hmm. And she had she was dry heaving from mile eight on. Oh. It was a 35 mile day. Oh, that's But rough. you know what? She got it done. It took her like from like 530 in the morning till 1030 at night. Wow. That's persistence. It's persistence, right? Mm-hmm. And again, so it's so cool to see people pushing through their boundaries and just doing these amazing things. It's really inspiring. It seems like uh, no matter what, you'll eventually come across some kind of boundary or some personal obstacle to overcome, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, it's so interesting to see, you know, people will get niggles right before the trip, they'll have something or during the trip. And like uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a guy at the end of the first day, he's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do day three. And, and, and I was like, well, you can think about it. I thought you could do it. Mm-hmm. He ended up doing it and he was psyched wow. about it, you know? So it's, uh, it's really, yeah, it's just a really powerful thing um, to, and such an opportunity and gift to have these amazing landscapes mm-hmm. to use as kind of a laboratory yeah. for, for that. And then also just, you know, be, you're in touch with something greater than yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. you're, you know, the, uh, we went over uh, Panhandle Gap uh, a week ago and it's the highest point on the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, 12 mountain goats went run by. Whoa. You know, really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful how it punctuates just the the experience, you know, Mm -hmm. and in that the, the difficulty in the landscape is just natural to the landscape itself. Exactly. And, and and that's, I think that's one of the gifts of those kind of wilderness areas Mm -hmm. is that there's an honesty about them and they give you what you need, even if they don't give you, always give you what you want. Mm. Right, you might not like the weather <laughs> at times. <laughs> you might be sore, but these kind of unmanicured places mm-hmm. um, really um, force you to go outside of yourself. Yeah, and and there's increasingly in our this day and age that's harder and harder to find. I think it's really valuable. Yeah, because it's, it's very difficult to find ourselves in places where we don't have any con- any perceived control over the situation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like you're. You know, it's like mile 31 of, and you've been out for 12 hours and you, you know, like one of the rivers, because it's been so hot, glaciers are melting and the rivers are running pretty hard. And there's one spot where you got, you got to wait across this like roaring glacial river, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, doing that at the end of the day when you're tired, it's really hard. Yeah. But then once you can do it. You realize you have another gear inside of yourself you didn't know you had. Yeah. And in, in, in any situation, I could not imagine um, the way that you can create a simulation of that or a human constructed experience. Because at the end of the day, um, if that were imposed upon another, mm-hmm. I imagine there's a lot of implications there in the sense that you can harm someone or how much suffering are you putting them through? All these things have to go into it. But with the nature, you just you just thrash yourself up against it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like climbing in a lot of ways to where maybe there's like a variety of different ways to get up to this peak. Right. There's easy ways and there's hard ways and you can choose. And then there might be some peaks where there's only easy ways and you can never make it difficult or there's only really hard ways. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have to meet this expectation that's just there to go and do it. And it's all of it's the potential that's just naturally awaiting. Yeah. And also we as human beings evolved to travel through landscapes. And, and, and often in very difficult ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when you do it, you also touch like some ancient place inside of yourself. Um, and again, you come into some contact with something that's greater than yourself. And that's really powerful. I mean, that's, that's where power comes from, right? Mm. It's like touching something greater than yourself. And do you, do you think that when you go and do these activities, like, um, when you're going to go and, you know, go and run, circumnavigate Rainier, do you think that you become in touch with those who've done it before? Because, 
it's much like it was then as it is now, unlike other activities that we do, like driving a car to those who sure. ride horses. Yeah, no, or, I, I, that's something I, I think I think if you're inclined to, to think and feel in that direction, there's no question. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, certainly we're in the ancestral lands of these indigenous people, the Cowlitz, and, you know, these, you know, so that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um I, you know, as someone who loves the history of American environmentalism and ecology and public lands, you know, I, th- I always think about John Muir climbing, you know, climbing mm-hmm. Rainier. That's really powerful. Um, so, yeah, I, d- I always think about, you know, who's been here before me and, mm-hmm. you know, how have they contributed to this experience that I'm having? Yeah. Yeah. And um, what was it like to go to circumnavigate the whole mountain? Because... Would it be safe to assume that you cross almost every drainage or stream coming from that mountain? Yeah, right? yeah. No, it's it's incredible. I mean, you you know, you get a, just a very different sense of the mountain. You know, if you're in like Tacoma, looking out at the mountain, like mm-hmm. that's cool. That's like wow, that's a big mountain. <laughs> yeah. um, but to 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 see it in all of its moods and to see it change uh, is really incredible. And like like you said, you go through these drainages, and you know, in some case, in most cases. For like some of the prominent rivers, there's bridges, mm-hmm. um, but often the bridges are like a log, mm, um, <laughs> you know. And some, and in a couple of cases, there's not even a log, you know. So, I mean, it was nothing like you know really dangerous, mm-hmm. but but you know, like we had one crossing where like I think if a couple of us as guides hadn't been there, I don't know that everybody would have crossed that river. Yeah, um, you know, you can hear the boulders moving. Oh wow, yeah, you know, yeah it lends hear, itself yeah, to yeah, some real yeah, tension. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's big consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, it kind of reminds me of um, years ago. I did this this river, this float trip in Alaska on the Copper River, which is a, another like big silty glacial river. It's this huge, huge river that comes out of the Wrangell St. Elias Range, and um, they call it a class two river with class six consequences. Whoa. Because it's, there's not, there's only one rapid the whole way. Um, it's, I mean, in one place, the, the river is seven miles wide. It's huge. There's wow. glaciers coming right down into the river in places. Oh, that's cool. But like, if you fall in, it's this incredibly silty water and your pockets are going to fill a silt and you're just going to like be pulled under immediately. No way. Whoa. You know? And so I, I think the crossings were kind of like that on here, you know, like mm-hmm. they're like, they're probably gonna be fine. But, you know, if, if something happens and you fall, all of a sudden you're, you know, and get, bumping up against rocks and you're, you know, moving through this. It, it, there's definitely consequences. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, again, I think that's part of the experience, you know, like that's, that's what, you know, you, I, to me, you, you do something like this. Obviously there's the beauty, there's the sense of community doing with other people. Um, but there's also the, the sense of, of like being there at the end of a day when you're tired and you have to do a big climb or you have to cross a river. And that's kind of where you find what you're made out of. Mm, and, and I think that's, that's a real gift. How do you think these experiences affect people, um, after these kinds of trips? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting one. Um, I think in uh, most cases, people come away feeling much stronger Mm-hmm. they probably come away feeling more peaceful, right? Because spending, you know, if you're, let's say you're spending eight to 12 hours a day in wilderness, often by yourself or maybe with one other person, you know, cause the runners are kind of strung out. Um, and you, you know, you're seeing a few people, you know, but you're not seeing a lot of people out there. I don't know like that. And then you're moving, you're in your body. Uh, and, and then you're looking at this massive, being called, you know, to home, to home with glaciers coming down wow, and stuff, you know, yeah. and, um, it, it just takes you to a deeper, quieter place. Mm. Um, and then that'll resonate throughout your life, wherever you go to say nothing of the like confidence you get from knowing that you did that, mm-hmm. uh, from the like physical strength that you have. Um, yeah. And, and also having a community of people who share those values. Mm-hmm. Um, cause often, you know, more often than not, those of us who do those things, sometimes you don't know a lot of other people who do those things and find mm-hmm. value. And so mm-hmm. to all of a sudden, like for a few days, have your tribe mm-hmm. really, really powerful and get that sense of belonging. Perhaps. Yeah. 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 No, I mean it, that, you know, the other day, you know, we finished up the trip and everybody is just hanging out, eating tacos at the end, you know, kind of telling their war stories from the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's just like a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, you just see these people who are tired and happy mm-hmm. and, you know, their tears of, you know, a, a lot of things. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's great. It's like um, discomfort and um, 
and challenge is kind of an inevitable factor in that experience and everyone can relate to it at some point. And having discomfort and challenge to be the thing that you relate to is probably a powerful um, driving force for connection. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no question that uh, we as humans bond over those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, if if you want to bring a group of people together, put them through a hard experience together. And they'll be much closer than if they hadn't been through that hard experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. It's really. It's really. It's really extraordinary. And also, just seeing like, you know, on the last day, we we set up an aid station like halfway through the route. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and people were coming through. And there's a couple of people in particular that were just. They were they were just in full excited human expression of wow. everything. You know, they're sweating, they're amped up. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's one guy yeah. who's 65 years old who was crushing it. You know, <laughs> and he was just like, "This is amazing." Yeah, you know, it's so man. so cool. And there's another guy who's much younger, but he came in and it, you know he was just like you could see his nostrils flaring. Oh, and he was just yeah. getting after it. And so extraordinary to see that. Mm-hmm. You know, so extraordinary to, to see just human beings having the opportunity to really kind of let off the brakes mm-hmm. and just fully express their unique human path. Yeah, that's, that is beautiful, yeah. man. Yeah. And uh, what are the range of emotions that you see um, when you're facilitating something like this? In uh, you see soup to nuts. You see everything. Oh, wow. So you see people who are ecstatic you see people who are worried you see people who are anxious you see people who are happy you see people who are just kind of trooping along they kind of they kind of like this is what i'm here to do Mm -hmm. uh you see people who uh are disappointed you know like sometimes you'll have someone who like you know they kind of organize their year around this and then something happens on the trail and they got a little injury or something or they you know they you know like that's hard too, mm-hmm. you know. Like I'm sure there's people who didn't do the whole thing who will come back and finish. Yeah, you know. Um, but hopefully they can view that as an opportunity, right? Like to like spur themselves on to greater things. But yeah, I mm-hmm. mean that that's the thing is anytime you're in these intense kind of situations, you're just uh, you're sort of range of emotional motion just goes way out. You just mm-hmm. you just see the whole thing, right? Whereas if you're sitting at your desk, you know just kind of doing your daily life, you don't tend to often get that same kind of intensity. And it's, it's easy to, to, um, to distract yourself from, from whatever you're feeling in your day-to-day life. And it's, you could still do it in those situations, but with the intensity, it becomes a lot more obvious, you know, like mm-hmm. I do one where it's always like if I'm referring to a GPS mm-hmm. and I have like the, the time warp of the GPS to where if I'm having like, I want to be done thoughts and I start exponentially looking at my GPS, the, the feeling of time fractioning to where Mm -hmm. time feels like it's moving slower and slower will exponentially increase as well. And now I'm kind of caught in this cycle of like more and more looking at my phone and looking at how far I'm going and it taking long or feeling like it's taking longer and longer to go that distance. Oh, of course. So like one of the, one of the things that you see people do and it's a very natural human thing, but I don't think it serves anybody is, you know, you're at the end of a long day and you're looking at your watch and you're like, well, we've done 34 miles and it's only supposed to be 34 miles, so we should be done now. And you're like, well, like, I don't know what to tell you, we're not. So so we're close, but like, I, I mean, you can stop, I guess, but like, I think that the world is a greater authority than your watch. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? um, so I think that's one of the dangers we walk in this the technology world is mm-hmm. that sometimes... Uh, we take refuge in it when maybe we shouldn't. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you see people like like one of the guys that was really like pumped up. So at the very end of the the trail, coming into Longmire, uh, which is sort of a one of the sort of areas we 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 it's where we start and end. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a you, there's like a four or five mile downhill, like buttery downhill, oh, right, right into yeah. it. So you end on this great downhill, and he's like, "Yeah, I put in the Wu Tang Clan and just crushed that." <laughs> you know, and that was like, "Oh man," I was like, "That made me so happy." <laughs> yeah, you know, you man. know. So, oh, that's beautiful. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah, it's just it's really amazing to see people um, just really pushing every aspect of themselves. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, yeah. And, 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 you know, just seeing what humans are capable of, like what were these sort of weird meat bags, <laughs> you know, were these sort of, you know, large, clever monkeys. Um, but I think often we don't realize how much capacity we have and something like that really helps to like pull that out of you. How for something like, um, doing a distance event like that or something big, a big adventure like that, how much of that is unique to an individual? And, and their capacity, like just cause they're like special or they have like a talent and how much of that is a reflection of just commitment and ability in practice? I mean, at the end of the day, I'd say that the commitment and practice is 99% of it. Is that the same way with playing instruments and singing too? Yeah. I'd say, I'd say talent is like 1%. You know, as, as, an, as an educator, I can say that I've had incredibly talented students who didn't end up doing anything with it. And I've also had students who just worked really hard and got there. Now, are, are there people who are just sort of unicorn freaks mm-hmm. with this stuff? Yeah, of course there are. You know, I'm never going to run like Jim Walmsley. Yeah. Right. I'm never going to sing like Jacob Collier. Yeah, you're right. And, 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 I, and it's such a joy to see someone like that mm-hmm. who just has immense talent. But for the most part, it just comes down to putting one foot in front of the other day after day consistently and do it. You might not be the best in the world at it, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, you, you look, I mean, a couple of years ago, there was a 75-year-old guy who did 500 milers. Wow. Right? And I have no doubt that he just worked very solidly and consistently and strategically, mm-hmm. right? And you see that all the time. And, and, and at the end of the day... You know, the people who put in the work are the ones who are going to be successful. Do you think that that's as clear is is that's as clearly experienced um, in creative work? Because you get in this thing where you are going to want to do like um, the 100 miler Mm -hmm. and you can do I'm going to do five miles a week and add five miles, Mm -hmm. you know, more every week until I get to this number Mm -hmm. and my body will change. And if I get injured, you know, you just adjust. Right. 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 But it's like you can. It's tangible, Mm -hmm. but when you were doing these like creative works and drawing and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, is it a, do you think it's a little easier to get lost in your own madness and to not invest in the commitment to practice and learn? Um, I think again, it kind of depends what you're there for, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. like you can certainly sort of ride the high of sort of dopamine ecstasy like that. And that's like, there's no question that's like, that's part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, I think it's very possible to, again, in a very sort of strategic methodical way, put in the effort over time to create something new, you know, like, it, mm-hmm. like creativity is essentially, I mean, there's craft, right. But craft isn't creativity. Craft is just being able to do something well, mm-hmm. right? Like if I can, I can be able to play the saxophone really well, but I might be just doing things that I've seen other people do, mm-hmm. right? And that's there's, that's great too. There's nothing. But if I want to do something new, essentially it comes down to I need to take two or more things that are seemingly disparate and put them together in a new way. Oh, I see. Right? That's that's what creativity is, mm-hmm. right? It's it's the Beatles putting rock instruments together with really good songwriting and harmonies in a way that no one had done before, mm-hmm. right? It's Bjork taking weird Icelandic uh, like concepts and putting them to electronic music. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, it's Michael Jordan uh, doing interesting things athletically, you know, with a basketball that no one had done before. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are um, that's creativity, uh, and that's kind of what tends to set people apart. But that is that I find that at the end of the day, are, are there certain people who probably innately have more creativity? Yeah, there probably are. <laughs> but I also think creativity is very trainable. Uh, And I think that, I think that people don't usually believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people think that like that's for certain people and other people, but I actually don't think that's true at all. Okay. Right. I think, I think I can actually walk students through processes where like we train up creativity. Really? Yeah. Is there anyone that you look to as a mentor or as like a source of resource for that kind of thinking? Um, I don't know. I look at a lot of different things. I mean, first of all, I look at, I look at the sort of artists and musicians and athletes and creative people that inspire me the most. And one of the things I'll often do is kind of break down what they do Mm -hmm. and try to like figure out kind of the recipe, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, uh, for instance, 
Ani DeFranco, like the recipe would be something in the effect of like folk music plus like punk attitude plus sort of like women's rights and community organizing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. No one put that particular plus like in the in 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 the figure of this like five foot tall woman who's like an anime yeah. character, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's awesome, that right? Cool. Right. Um, whereas if you look at I don't know Jocko Willink, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have this like Navy SEAL who's like possibly like the grumpiest, most serious human being you've ever met in your life, combined with someone who really thinks in a nuanced way about leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and has uh, a lot of vulnerabilities in certain ways. I see. You know, yeah. so like you can kind of take, so like that. that's always the question is like, how do you, what's your particular equation? Can, you know, I always encourage my students to, to, to do things that are kind of left-hand turns. Do something that no one expects. Like, mm-hmm. And I think in the 21st century, that's kind of the key to success is in a day and age when like AIs and computers are going to do more and more of our jobs, mm-hmm. like just being a lawyer probably not going to cut it. Probably there's going to be an AI that can just do the things that most lawyers do. But if you're a lawyer that's really good at communicating with people in an empathetic way, talking about um, the um, legal implications of animal rights trafficking in Suriname, then you probably have a gig. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) I get it. That makes sense. You know, you Uh need to have a thing that you do that no one else can replicate, Mm -hmm. right? And so I actually think that, that again, I think you can train up creativity, and I think it's (laughs) one of the two or three most important skills uh, in the 21st century. That's interesting. What do you think the other important skills are? Uh, I think knowing how to manage your own personal state, um, so your nervous system, mm-hmm. um, and to think and see and act clearly despite um, an increasing world of distraction mm-hmm. is really important, right? So so learning to not just have chronic stress all the time, but learning to be able to dial that up to really get after it super hard sometimes, but also dial it back to be able to relax at other times. Mm -hmm. Um, and to not let all of the distractions around you get in the way of seeing and acting clearly. Uh, and how do you, what are some methods that you've done to, to understand what distractions are and how to identify them? Right. I mean, I, so I think there's a few things. One is having knowing what your baseline is away from distraction, mm-hmm. which is uh, increasingly <clears throat> rare real estate. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's uh, first of all turning off electronics sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm I'm not someone who thinks we should turn them off all the time because they're amazing tools. Yeah. But but learning to have some kind of a mindfulness practice, um, possibly some breath work, possibly some vision exercises, possibly some movement. Things mm-hmm. that you can do so that you know how you feel and how you think um, outside of all of those like sort of really um, distracting inputs. Yeah, the external inputs. Yeah, yeah, you know, so that That's you have that baseline and that you can always return to that mm-hmm. and then learning to return to that quickly in real time, right? So that if you see something that really gets you jacked up, you're like, oh, I need to bring it back down. It just reminds me of that whole process of meditation, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, I always say that we need to learn, we need to understand ourselves better than algorithms understand us. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're, we, and especially as we move into an era with probably with virtual reality and sensors and things where, you know, things are going to be measuring how much you're blinking and your mm-hmm. galvanic skin response and your heart rate. You know, if you, if they know you better than you know you, they're going to be able to manipulate you. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it's not that that's just what they're trained to do. It, it, but it, it isn't that almost an indication of reality itself, like all the mm-hmm. external things that you have, like, cause things are constantly making that assessment. I mean, life is evolving, you know, itself in, in that way, right. Whether it's mm-hmm. the things that are trying to um, take from you and attack you or the things that are providing for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause even if you like, or you take like plants that we have and potatoes and stuff and you could look at like, well, we've grown them over time so that they provide these traits. Well, it's like, yeah, it's good for the plant. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a pretty smart right. strategy. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Maybe the plants training us and we're not training the plant. Yeah, right. Cause then you get, 
get because then you get everything that it produces is like you know in terms of food like if it's satiating and very rewarding for us you know and it is a useful tool then now it's made itself useful Mm -hmm. right and it's like how much of those play into each other and i know that it's like us imposing our will and planting it but like if it wasn't calorically dense or whatever, we wouldn't feel that way. So how much is it influencing us? Well, I think the challenge, that's all true. The challenge (laughs) in our day and age is that essentially, whether it's uh, the world of food or it's the world of media, a lot of what we consume has has been kind of hacked, Mm -hmm. right? So like, it's one thing to eat a potato. It's Mm -hmm. another thing to eat potato chips. Yeah. Which are delicious. Mm-hmm. And highly addictive. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Right? right? They're mm-hmm. manipulating us, yes. right? Right? And so, in the same way, like, just as, you know, it's one thing to um, watch, you know, watch the ocean. It's another mm-hmm. thing to watch a screen <laughs> where what you're watching has been curated to hack your attention. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so, learning... Learning to discern those things mm-hmm. and learning how to have the self-control to be choosing and to not just be chosen, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think that's, I think that's really, really important. And I think it's that tension is just going to increase. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you see all these people who are obese and malnutri- malnourished at the mm-hmm. same time. Right. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, like, which is crazy yeah, to think about. It's mind blowing yeah. to think about. Right. Um, but they're not actually so I one way to think about it is I when I eat food I want it to be nutrient dense Mm -hmm. when I consume media I want it to be nutrient dense Mm -hmm. when I'm in relationships I want them to be nutrient dense right Um, and I don't want a bunch of empty calories do you do you ever prioritize quantity over quality uh, when I'm ultra running. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, not, not, I mean, I'm sure there, I, I'm not thinking of any places right now, Yeah. you know, but I, I, I don't know, like you want to do things well, you want to feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the end of the day, you only have so much life too. I exactly. mean, so like if you do everything like, cause if you were inherently to do things for for quantity, right, right, and not have any consideration of quality, and you're willing to, to a high degree anyways, right, because there's mm-hmm. this nuance somewhere in between. But sure. the high degree where it's like, I don't really care the quality, I just more, 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 more. Mm-hmm. You die one right. day. So, like, you don't, you really don't have endless amounts of quantity to pull from. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that we see a lot of manifestations of what I'll just call empty calories. Right. Mm-hmm. Of that, that, and that's, that's one of the challenges in our world is we have so much abundance, right. But learning to manage that abundance is, is the challenge now, right. You managing scarcity used to be the challenge. Mm-hmm. Now managing abundance, right. We have an abundance of information, right. There's just information flying at us all the mm-hmm. time. Right. We have an abundance of food knowing when to say no or yeah. choose. Right. Whereas like a century ago, that was not the case. Mm-hmm. We have an abundance of stuff, right? If you want to fill up a barn with all the stuff in the world, you can do it yeah. pretty easily and cheaply, right? Hoarding. Hoard- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, so one of the challenges of the period that we're in is actually managing abundance, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's an amazing, it's an amazing problem to have, yeah. right? Like, but it is still just as, just as you know, it's, it's just something to manage. That's all. But yeah. is that though? No- and I, and I invite that in some sense because mm-hmm. I think there's always something to manage because that's the concept of utopia. And maybe, maybe z- your experience with like Zen Buddhism comes into play with this mm-hmm. and that like that whole, the middle way or like enlightenment is nothing that exists forever or is everlasting, right? Isn't mm-hmm. it something that you like come into momentarily and any trite of desperation and clinging to make it everlasting ends in feudalistic hope? Or, right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you get to the place and you're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that means you're dead. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, so you're always, you're always, you know, think of it as like a slack line, right? And you're mm-hmm. always walking in the slack line. You're always maintaining your balance. There's times when you have moments of like epiphanal, amazing, ecstatic balance. There's other mm-hmm. times when you're kind of falling off on one side or the other. Right. But learning to more consistently, hopefully manage that balance Mm -hmm. and do it in more skillful ways. And maybe it gets easier. I think that's the name of the game. But, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's sort of like, you know, when I'm out in my surf kayak, I have this little tiny surf kayak um, and it's like a surfboard that you sit inside. So it has has fins on the bottom, but there's there's like no back to it. Like I can reach behind me and touch the back of it. So 
if in that boat, I can never just sit there. I, I'm always doing little micro leans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm always doing little micro leans. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I don't, I'm going to fall over. Yeah. But you get better at it the more you do it. So, so that has like a high intensity mm-hmm. and it's the risk is higher, right? The consequence mm-hmm. is always there because if you fall over, right. it's still the situation. Right. But um, is it when you're getting more and more experience, you're, you, you might seek to increase the intensity by making the balance more sensitive? Yeah. I mean, it's all just developing a skill, right? Uh-huh. Like the more that you have control of your balance, the more you can do, right? Yeah. And, and then the more you can do, the more you're going to be challenging your balance. And right? that's how that infinite game kind of rolls out, right? Because exactly. there is no ultimate goal to like, that's where, that is that practice of, of realized utopia then. And yeah. the practice of the middle way, because mm-hmm. you find that once you get it, you can always find more challenge within it. Yeah. So it's, it's what um, is often referred to as the challenge skills ratio. What's that? So, so in the research around flow states, mm-hmm. um, it's really interesting. And flow states are this kind of state where you are in the deep now, you're in the utter present and when you're in that state, your performance goes up, your learning goes up. Um, you get this whole cascade of all these neurochemicals that make you feel really good. Um, time dilates, so either things oh. slow way down or speed mm-hmm. way up. We've all experienced yeah. it in some form, right? But now science has like really started to figure out the equation for it, more or mm-hmm. less. Um, and, and, and so one of the major parts of the equation is what we call the challenge skills balance, which is the balance between your skills in relation to the challenge. Mm-hmm. So we figured out that you're more likely to go into a flow state when you're operating at 4% above your perceived capacity. Oh. So just the very front edge of what you think you can do. Just mm-hmm. a little bit, boy, you know, you're right, yeah. right? And so as you get better at something, that keeps increasing. Oh, right? Wow. So, so for Laird Hamilton, the big wave surfer, his challenge skills balance when he was three mm-hmm. was a two-foot wave. And then it was a four-foot wave. And then it was a six-foot wave. And now it's a hundred-foot wave. Wow. Right, because every day he's been putting in that time. Uh So now to get just four percent above his perceived capacity, it's probably like this huge wave on a foil board. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, whereas for me and my surf kayak, it's probably like a three or four foot wave. Yeah, right. So, and through that experience, perhaps Mm -hmm. you learn not to judge yourself and to project yourself onto that other person and just get into that flow state. Yeah, hope. exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that's great about flow states is that because you're in the deep now, basically your prefrontal cortex shuts off. So your inner critic shuts off. Mm-hmm. So you're just here. Um, and that's one of the reasons it's so addictive. It's mm-hmm. like we're all trying to hopefully yeah. Yeah. <laughs> try to get that brain chatter to stop. Well, right? And it's interesting because in um, in environments that that those these kinds of opportunities I haven't been uh, introduced, I guess, or mm-hmm. people didn't have these as their coping mechanisms. Um, they, I see a lot of like just substance, and I see a lot of drama sometimes, mm-hmm. at least in the experiences that I've had. And like, and with that with that consumption and all those things, they would escalate to a point that no one would want it to get to, mm-hmm. and then it would de-escalate to some kind of baseline, and then right. re-escalate again. Um, and it almost seemed like there was some sense of craving for some sensations, but the way that they were acted out was in a more destructive way. And I always thought that about myself too, because when I would use substances, like I would be really consumptive. Like I wasn't like, you know, when I overdosed, it wasn't cause I was over consuming something cause I couldn't help myself. Mm-hmm. It was to like, you know, when you want to climb something and they're like, Oh, that's a crazy climb. It's like, no, I could do it. But I use that in the context of drugs, which I overdosed because of that. But, mm-hmm. um, when I was older and I didn't have these outlets to, cr- when I was craving some sense of intensity, um, you know, I would just turn to these things and, right. and I would even turn to food, like the most pleasurable food and like, yeah, mm-hmm. but it was really hard to learn all these lessons in that space because the the dynamic wasn't it wasn't as obvious i guess well i mean we're hard we're hardwired for this right mm-hmm. that's dopamine right yeah. dopamine is this neurochemical that it's about reaching for something outside of yourself mm-hmm. and really dopamine is mo- if you really get granular it's actually about it's more about the anticipation of the thing than it is actually the realization of the thing right yeah. and so we're we're you know in buddhism we call this hungry ghosts right you're 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 seeking these things that will never probably quite satisfy you mm. right but on the other hand like the reason that seeking things is what a lot has allowed our species to 
travel around the world and build things and survive, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure that, you know, there were some people on the Polynesian islands are like, we don't know what's out there, hmm. but we're, we want to find out. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so that's a big part of who we are as humans is having, you know, and you see people like, it's an interesting thing. You see some people who are serotonin is another neurochemical. that's more about just feeling like happy and satiated and content. Yeah. Right. And there's people you see who are serotonin dominant and you uh-huh. see people who are dopamine dominant, right? Uh-oh. Dopamine dominant people are, Dopamine dominant people are more ambitious. Yeah. Right? They're 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 more curious oftentimes. Ooh. They're seeking things outside, whereas serotonin people are sometimes they're more at peace. Uh-huh. Sometimes they're just like a little more like cushy and comfortable. Yeah. You know? Whoa. Uh, isn't that interesting? That right? is interesting. Yeah, and I and I think about that all the time. But again, as with many things, I think that's just all trainable, right? Yeah. The more that you practice any given behavior, mm-hmm. the more, the better you get at it and the more you can do that. And that's clearly expressed through movement because mm-hmm. like in movement, you know, you can do curls and you can build like this bicep strength, but like any way that you could replicate that movement, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, you can build that level of strength. And, and then what's more is, is that like you can just add intensity in a variety of different ways, mm-hmm. you know, and you can build strength. And then if you're curious and like, well, could I be build strength moving um, instead of like uh, in a different kind of mm-hmm. perspective, like you can because there's a range of motion with your forearm mm-hmm. where you can curl it into your shoulder, mm-hmm. but you can also um, you can also twist at the forearm, mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, what happens if I practice twisting movements, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden twisting movements mm-hmm. will will change, and your ability will manifest. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to be respectful of your time, mm-hmm. um, who are your who are your mentors in writing? Who are my mentors in writing? Um, well, so I would say that. Um, so I think we were talking earlier, so I mentioned this. So I essentially, so when I was uh, at the end of high school, um, I discovered this book called The Dharma Bums by Jack mm-hmm. Kerouac. Um, and it was about this character named Jaffe Ryder. Um, and I learned soon that that character Jaffe Ryder was actually based on a real person named Gary Snyder. Um, so I would say that Snyder was a was certainly was a massive influence, on and he still is. He still is. The example and the integration of how he lived his life, you know, sort of this integration of wilderness and activism and Buddhist study um, and teaching and writings. Really, it's still. I, I mean, I can trace most of who I am on some level back to that. Wow. Um, and I've, I've had a chance to spend some time with him. Um, uh, and then I would say from him, it led me to other people who have become mentors and friends. So uh, there was an Alaskan writer named Richard Nelson who just passed away a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, who lived uh, with native peoples in Alaska for like 15 Whoa. years. And um, then, and as an anthropologist, but then put, instead of pursuing an academic career, built a life in Southeast Alaska all around the principles they taught him around hunting and harvesting from the ocean. So he was genuinely just interested in that. Yeah, he was, he was the most curious, joyous person I've ever known in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I could tell you stories. Everybody called him Nels. I could tell you Nels stories forever. He was the most, he was like 75 going on 16. Just wow. like amazing. Just joyous. Really? Yeah. Similar, I love yeah. that so when you I'll, could see. I'll, I'll, I'll just mention so, um, this great story. Um, my friend Hank Lentfer, who's also been a, a good friend and mentor from Southeast Alaska and a writer, uh, worked a lot with Nels and actually wrote his his biography. Um, but so Nels, uh, one day they were in Johns Hopkins in Lettup in Glacier Bay and um, it's choked. There's glaci- glaciers come right down into this bay, into the ocean. So there's icebergs everywhere. And it's the end of the day. And Nels goes out, grabs a kayak, no life jacket, no sprays. He just goes out and just disappears out paddling. And he comes back a few hours later. He's like, holy fucking shit. This is the best day of my life. And Nels is like in his 70s. Right? And, and, and what Hank said was, and the day before when we were tracking grizzly bears, that was the best day of his life. And the day before that, when we were recording seals, that was the best day of his life. So... I think I have a lot to learn from this guy, you know? Ah, So Nels, uh, there's another writer who's a good friend of mine who I do, I work with a lot uh, named Kim Hecox in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Kim's a good friend. Um, There was an Alaskan uh, poet named John Haynes who passed away probably about 10 years ago. 
um, who's a friend and mentor, and John homesteaded in Alaska in the 1940s when they were just giving away land. Wow. And he lived in this cabin for like 50 years. Whoa. And wrote these amazing, like very quiet, deep poems. Whoa. Um, so those guys, um, I'm, uh, there's another uh, poet here from the Pacific Northwest, Sam Hamill, um, who was this Zen Buddhist poet, poetry editor, uh, who founded Copper Canyon Press. He was a letterpress printer, um, did a lot of translations. I mean, I think he probably wrote like 40 books. Um, and that included translations of a lot of ancient Chinese and Japanese work, as well as his own poems. Um, Sam was a really good friend. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, but but it's, but I've been really fortunate, I think, you know, and, and I think what's wonderful is when you get to meet your heroes and become friends with them. I mean, sometimes, sometimes they're disappointing, but oftentimes the ones who stick around, who who you stay in your life, it's, it's incredibly inspiring and strengthening to know that and to have, and to have that lineage that you can like follow, you know, I can, I can count back from Sam to Kenneth Rexroth to William Carlos Williams to Walt Whitman, you know, and, yeah, you know, and, and I get that from a martial arts perspective, of course. And then, um, also course, when yeah. you, when you see someone literally commit their life or a period of their life mm-hmm. to information, and then you internalize that information, it does not take you the same amount of time to internalize the information as the one who found that information. Right. And so you just build off of that. And when you meet someone, I imagine in a lineage, like you must be meeting yourself. Exactly, way. exactly, exactly. And as an educator, that's that you're trying to pass it for. You're yeah, trying to do the same thing. You're trying to be like, you day. know, I try to save my students, you know, the 10 years it took me of messing up things to figure certain things out. Yeah. I can just like pass it on to them like, cool, you just saved a decade. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the thing that like um, excites me the most because I was born and I would have try to ha- talk to my my parents and you know some friends and people around me and oftentimes I wouldn't I'd feel really misunderstood and that I wouldn't be able to share these things I was interested in but mm-hmm. prior to that I w- before I read things that I was interested in mm-hmm. as a kid I um I just had like uh, beginnings you know right. and when i followed those and got deeper in them i didn't have anyone to relate these things to mm-hmm. i liked poetry i liked watching adventure movies but i still didn't know who i was and mm-hmm. what i liked and as i would read these books i would meet people who were more like me than i thought people could be and right. then they lived right. whole lives and i was like right. that makes sense like stoicism's a, a big of one of and like running's another one and it's like wow running it, it changes the way that I view life in this way. It changes the way I relate to myself and my, my sense of like uh, confidence and my anxiety and all these things. Mm-hmm. And then I read a book and I'm like, whoa, someone else was just, like struggling with these feelings or maybe not, mm-hmm. but they loved being out in the wilderness like I did. Mm-hmm. Like I see myself in them mm-hmm. and I didn't see myself in my parents like that or right. in my friends or my family. And I'm like, like I relate to you. Like when I right. came into your work, I was like, there's someone who likes like Kerouac and all them like mm-hmm. I do. And there's mm-hmm. like, whoa, right. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Well, and that's the amazing thing is that, you know, writers or other artists leave behind these documents that, that kind of give you the source code. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't matter if they lived 500 years ago or a thousand years ago. It doesn't matter if they spoke the same language. Mm-hmm. Right. But they, you find your tribe, yeah. right? And so you might not have your tribe if you live in some small town in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But if you can read the books by those people, it helps you say, oh, I'm not alone, right? Yeah. And it gives you, it helps you live inside of a story mm-hmm. that can sustain you and carry you forward. And I think um, more exposure to those stories and teaching people or talking about how I found the stories that worked for me, or even the fact that it's okay to read a book and get a few pages into it and decide that you don't want to read the book or mm-hmm. skim the book to figure out if you actually want to read the book Right, is the way that I try to see forward, especially through this really complicated cultural time we're in. Mm-hmm. Because I, when I read things, I learn more about myself and I feel more empowered to change my behavior and how I affect my immediate communities. Mm-hmm. And so if that can inspire someone else to figure it out for themselves mm-hmm. in that way, 
then it seems more powerful. Cause I feel like I get in this place where it's like, you know, I want to raise my son more, but I have an income thing. And it's mm -hmm. like, I could say, fix this or housing's mm -hmm. too expensive. And I could say, fix this, but like someone else is doing the fixing. And mm -hmm. if I'm always asking for the fixing and never doing the fixing, mm -hmm. how can I expect anyone else to do the fixing? Right. Like that. And that's the thing that I think about a lot, you know? Well, and you also won't have a sense of personal agency and strength. Yeah. Right. Like you won't, you won't have the strength to say that I'm the kind of person that can do this. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? And so by doing those hard things, to bring it back to the, yep. the trail, right? Like, by doing hard things, you realize what you're capable of as a human being. Mm. Right? And by looking at these books or records of other artists or writers, you you can you have this sort of sense of lineage and and there's a tradition of human beings doing hard things. Yeah. Right. You right. You read Shackleton and you're like, oh, he he did something much harder than I will yeah. ever do. Therefore, it's probably possible for me to do this hard thing as and, well. And that's what it is, right? There's a tradition of people out there doing those things. Yeah. And whatever it is, you can go and start. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, <laughs> Thank Eve. you so much. I appreciate yeah. it. Woo! That was a fun time with Ian. I love talking to Ian. It's when I got introduced to Gary Snyder and Philip Whalen. Jack Kerouac, I was, my life blossomed into a whole new stage. I saw the world in a little different ways. Meeting Ian is somebody who has embodied that and was inspired by it too, for his own reasons. And it inspired him with momentum that has persisted for, for years it's influenced his his writing, his outdoor experiences. It's very beautiful to hear his stories. And I love learning from Ian. This has inspired me to learn more about Gary Snyder um, and Sam Hamill and John Hayes and Richard Nelson, especially Richard Nelson. I mean, that guy is like a bundle of optimism and energy as a kid who felt life was pretty drab and lacking some form of excitement outside of chasing immediate pleasures these things have given my life a sense of meaning and purpose with the likes of Roman Dial for instance a man who is pack rafting and um, bike packing in Alaska in these remote wild places I was not obsessed with the outdoors in my youth but that landscape has really grown on me and I love that there is this source code these books this art records from people who have experienced this very thing. Hell, I'll even make a call to Daniel Boone. Before uh, I leave y'all off to your day or night, I'm going to play you out with a song by the Living Arrows called Wild Hearts. So leave me Love you. Take me to your riverbed.
in the moonlight, in the moonlight, in the moonlight, singing. Wake up in the moonlight, in the moonlight, in the moonlight with me. Take me. Take me.